I want to begin by telling you a story from the business world. How many of you know I'm not a business person at all? You're allowed to raise your hand. I'm not at all. But this will track. I'm going someplace with this. How many of you can remember Blackberries, like the cell phone, Blackberries, yes? Okay. How many of you once owned a Blackberry? A good many of you. Those of you with your hand up will pray for you because you're probably still lamenting about what happened to them, just saying. Blackberries were early pioneers in the smartphone world. We're all walking around with smartphones now, but 20 years ago, there were no smartphones. In fact, all the phones that existed then were pretty dumb, in fact. They didn't do very much. But Blackberries came along. They were catered especially to the business community, though not exclusively. And they were this cutting-edge smartphone. And they started to really sell well. They started to really go someplace and take off. In the first, say, by the, by the middle of the first decade of the 2000s, right, you, you see the graphs about how BlackBerry was doing. They were up and to the right making lots of money. They had a big market share on the smartphone game. In the year 2010 alone, their revenue was $20 billion. Somebody say, that's a lot of money. (laughs) Fast forward 13 years, which really is not all that long in the grand scheme of things. How many of you are walking around with a Blackberry in your pocket now? Exactly. Matter of fact, I read you can't even buy them anymore in Canada. They've been discontinued. So good luck trying to find one. You say, well, what happened if they were so popular, $20 billion a year, market share, everybody wanted a BlackBerry. Now, less than 15 years later, they're obsolete and they're a historical fact. You can't even buy them anymore. What happened from here to here? That's the question. Now, We're not going to look in depth into that because there's probably a million reasons why BlackBerry kind of went the route that it did. But here's a couple of things that happened to them that are interesting to get them from this great spot to this steep fall from grace. One of the things that happened is one of the big mucky mucks high up in the company, he got his sights set on buying an NHL hockey team, which has zero to do with the business of BlackBerry. If you guys remember that, that was in about the year 2007. He wanted to buy the Nashville Predators and move them to Hamilton, Ontario. And it became this big stink, big controversy. The NHL stepped in. It was a big mess. All in the meantime, a different company in the year 2007 released a product you might have heard of. The company was called Apple. They released what's called an iPhone. So while Buddy from Blackberry's running around spending his time trying to buy an NHL team, the iPhone comes out. And Blackberry said, uh, we're not really worried about them. They're not really our competition. Well, how'd that go for them? <laughs> how many of you are walking around with an iPhone in your pocket this morning, right? Okay. And that's kind of one of the other big mistakes Blackberry did is they sort of didn't jump onto the bandwagon of the everyday consumer using a smartphone. Like I said, they were primarily oriented toward the business clientele. But all of a sudden, everybody, the average regular folk, started wanting a smartphone. And BlackBerry was just not equipped to make that shift. And they got passed and lapped and leapfrogged by other companies to the point where now they're to the place where they are now. Why am I telling you all this? (laughs) That's the question. It's because there's a parallel there for the church. What's interesting about BlackBerry is that 
this stuff that ultimately led to their downfall, it started when things were going really well, right? They were not in this bad spot and then bad things started to happen and then they went under. They were wind in their sails, flying high. Things were amazingly good at the company and that's where they lost sight of what they were doing and what they should do and that's where the complacency started to creep in which led to this. Now the church is not a business. We're not gonna pull out a business textbook and use that to take our cues for what we ought to be doing as a church. But here's the thing. I don't mind telling you this at all because we're gonna brag on the Lord a little bit. Things are going really well for our church right now. Somebody give thanks to the Lord for that, please. We are not a perfect church. As I always say, we were perfect till you and I walked in. Then it really started to snowball from there. I love you. Yes, we're not a perfect church. We got lots of things to work on, as we always will. But we've been in a season for the last while, the last couple years, let's say, where it's been really, really good. We're seeing people get saved. We started with three baptisms today, which is awesome. Yes, okay, let's do it again. Yep, which is awesome. We've seen, we've seen people develop a hunger for God that maybe once before it was, ah, I was kind of indifferent, but now I'm on fire for the Lord. I've heard people say, I just want to get as close to God as I can. That's awesome. That's, that's the Holy Spirit at work. And he has been at work. I've had conversations with some of you guys that was like, yeah, I was doing this thing, uh, sinning in this way. And then wham, the Holy Spirit just nailed me like a two by four between the eyes. That's like good things because that helps us get out of some stuff that we do that maybe we shouldn't be doing. All of this stuff. When we meet on Sunday mornings, the presence of God has been with us. We have had opportunities to meet lots of new people. We have had a lot of new ministries start in the last year or two. Things are going well. Are things going well? Yeah. Yes. So I want to apologize for that, but here's the thing. It's while things are going well that we need to make sure we're staying sharp and keeping our eye on the prize. Because I don't want us to have the same thing as Blackberry. When things were going really well in our church, we lost sight. We lost focus. We forgot what we were doing. We forgot what the goal is. We forgot who the prize is. And we started out doing these other things that ultimately led us like this. I don't want to see that in our church. We don't want to come into that as a church. So this today might not be very sermony. That's okay. I want to go right back to the heart today of who we are as a church and why we're here and what we're doing. What's the point of it all? I want us to be sharpened into this. If you're new here, this will be a crash course on our church. Welcome. If you're not new here and you're beginning to get sick of hearing this, because we try to bring this up every few months, every so often. You know, what I, you know what I say to that? I love you. I'm going to say it anyway. And if you're getting sick of it, that probably is a sign that I'm just beginning to talk about it enough. Because that's how that works. So let's strap in. Let's do this. Let's talk this morning. First thing I want to do, I want us to, to be reminded of why we exist. Somebody say, why do we exist? Well, surely it's because, I don't know, we just should. We're a church. Like, we should exist. We've been around for 127 years. Why would we stop now? We just should exist because we always have existed. No. 
We have a reason why we're here as a church. Literally, after 127 years of operation, we still have a reason. I want to see another 127 years up in here. And here's the reason why we exist as a church in its purest form. It's to glorify God. It's to bring honor and praise to Jesus Christ. We don't exist just to hold events in a building once a week. We don't exist just so we can come and feel good about ourselves. We don't exist because we have charitable organizational status and we're incorporated. No, it's that. To glorify God in everything that we do as a church. Our goal Our target is that Jesus Christ would be exalted and made known and praised and that his fame would go out from here and would increase and that more and more people would come to know him and cherish him and value him and worship him. It is all about Jesus. Yes. Furthermore, I should remind you, this is his church anyway. This is not your church I love you. This is not my church. It's not the elders' church. It's not the ministry leaders' church. It is Jesus' church. It says in Colossians 1.18 that he is the head of his body, the church. It's Jesus all the way. And I should say this too. If you're saved, if you're a believer, that should resonate with you. I don't want to tell you how to feel this morning, but that should mean something. Oh, right, I belong to this body, this family, this group that ultimately belongs to Jesus, the one who saved me from my sins, the one who has called me into new life, the one who has promised me eternal life. This church belongs to him. I should take that seriously. It's his church. We exist to glorify Jesus in everything that we do. Now, that's very, that's very high level, right? We could really drill down and what does that mean and what does that look like? And we're going to do that this morning. You say, if the goal is to glorify Jesus, that's the main thing all the time, what are we doing to work toward that goal? Right? If, if we're trying to do this, what, what do we do here? What do we do to, to work toward this? Well, what we're doing as a church, the work of our church that we're doing to work toward that goal of glorifying him, I'm going to boil it right down into very simply one word. The work of the church, it's discipleship. Somebody say discipleship. discipleship. That is what we're doing. And discipleship has a couple of aspects to it. You ready? Lots of numbers today. Da, 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 da. The first part of discipleship is being a disciple yourself. You. You walking with Jesus. You prioritizing Jesus. You pursuing Jesus. It says in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength. How much of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? all of it with enthusiasm, even great job. That's our target. It's I, I as a believer need to be walking with Jesus, looking to Jesus, trusting in Jesus. That's part of what it is to be a disciple. That's part of discipleship. But it's more than that too. It's also the second part of discipleship is coming alongside others and helping them come to know and grow in Jesus. See, here's the thing. If we ever get to a point in our walk where it's, it's just me and Jesus. Actually, you know what we do sometimes? It's just me. 
Jesus, you go over there. It's just me. Well, that's obviously dumb. Don't do that. But when it's just, oh, it's me and Jesus and I'm so close to the Lord. Yeah, that's awesome. But it's always, always, always supposed to be Jesus, others, and you. Always. So we need to come alongside others in this. It says the, the same thing. We read Matthew twenty two thirty seven a minute ago. Well, verse 38 is, in addition to loving the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you also are to love your neighbor. You're to love other people. It's right there. That's not like several verses later because this is the most important and this is way secondary. That's the great commandment. Love God and love others. Making sense so far? If you claim to love Jesus, I'm just going to get up in your grill here for a minute. If you claim to love Jesus, which I hope that you do, but you never have any concern for others, you never have any desire to come alongside anyone, do anything for them, help them in their faith, in their life, in their walk at all, it just never crosses your mind, I would think that Jesus would have something to say about that. I don't think he'd be really pleased to see that in our hearts. Let's be honest. And if that's where you are this morning, here's the good news. He has grace for you. You can talk to him about that. He can help you with that. But it's always Jesus, others, and you. That's what discipleship is. We're walking with Jesus ourselves, and we're doing what we can to help others walk with him as well. Okay? Now let's drill down a little deeper. What does that look like in action? Okay, if the goal is to glorify Jesus... And the means by which we do that primarily as a church is this principle and this practice of discipleship. Are there mile markers along the way that indicate that it's, quote, working? Like, how can we tell this is taking root in us? Are there visible signs? And I say, yes, there are. And I'm going to tell you what they are. There's three. I got three things for you. How can we tell this all is working? Well, the first one is this. Very simply, you can tell this is working when you're following Jesus in your life. Following Jesus. Somebody say that for me. Following Jesus. Jesus. Now notice that word following. That is a verb. That is an action word. This is not a state of mind. This is not a metaphor. This is you doing something. Following Jesus. Following Jesus looks like intentionally pursuing that relationship with him. We've talked a lot about the word abiding. That means That's a highly relational word. You're with him. You're spending time with him. You're looking to him. You're walking with him. You're walking in obedience to him. We need that heart. We need that activity with Jesus. So I'll ask you this morning, don't answer out loud, how's your abiding going? Are you abiding with Jesus in this season of your life? Are you walking in close relationship with him? Or maybe are you drifted? Or maybe are you just checking off the box? Again, That's where you're at. He has grace for you today. He's calling you to something better today. He's got a life for you, and it's only found in walking with him. Following Jesus also looks like living our lives as a pouring out of praise to him. See, we ought to be real strong worshipers as believers. We ought to be living in a way where our heart is, wow, God, all that you've done for me, Wow, I'm just blown away. And I want my life to be an outpouring of thanksgiving and appreciation and praise for all that you've done for me. You've given me life. You've given me breath. You've given me every blessing. Every good thing I have in my life comes from you. You've saved me from my sins. I'm born again in you. I have new life in you. And as a response, I want to worship you with my whole life. How many of you know worship is not something you just do on Sundays in a church building? Right? Whatever you do, In everything that you do, do it for the glory of God. 
Your life is about worship. So we got to have that kind of posture as our lives. Following Jesus also involves making it a priority to submit to Jesus' lordship and Jesus' leadership. Oh, now. Uh, you say, I did okay on the first couple, but that one... That one gets us sometimes, because what we can sometimes do is say, yeah, I'm a follower, I love Jesus, da, da, da. but the minute you come into something that he asks you to do or not do, that you disagree with, you say, ah, ah, I'm actually on the throne, I'm actually calling the shots, I'm actually making the rules. That's not a good game to play, friends. The reality is, Jesus is king, Jesus is Lord. The day you got saved is the day that you proclaimed that Jesus is your master. That means when he speaks, when he leads, when he guides, when he says, Braden, I want you to go and do this. Braden, I want you to stop doing that. We got to obey. You cannot remove obedience from this life at all. We got to humble ourselves before him. We got to walk in faithful obedience to him. So my question to you is this, and don't answer out loud. These are all for reflection only. Are you taking steps in your life to actively humble yourself before the Lord? It doesn't come naturally, just saying. We're left to our own devices. We're not just naturally humble, right? Are you willing to submit yourself unto him and to even maybe lay down your right to be right, surrender that to him and say, Lord, I'll do what you want me to do. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll say what you want me to say. Is that our heart? Does that describe you and I in this season of our lives? That's what following Jesus looks like. So that's, that's one way that we can tell. When those things are starting to happen in your life, that's one way that you can tell this is taking root. This is happening in your life. And by the way, I can see this happening in your guys' lives. Seriously, it's amazing. I, I've seen growth in this area in some of you guys in the last season. It's encouraging. It's wonderful. Keep pursuing him. Second thing is this. What does this look like in action? How can we tell this is, quote, working out, taking root? The second thing is this. It's when we love others, when we're loving others. You say loving others. Thank you. See, again, we can never get away from the others bit. The moment you start to get away from the others bit in your faith, that's the moment you're starting to get off of Jesus' heart. Jesus, others, and you. Now again, I'll point out to you, loving others, loving is a verb as well. It's an action word. Way too often we make love all about a feeling. Love is not primarily a feeling, friends. Your feelings are fickle. Your feelings are not trustworthy. If you're like me, sometimes you feel this way one minute, and then the next minute you feel like this. Just saying, I watched the Leafs game last night. That was my feelings right here, right? So don't, tr it's not, ugh. that was not in my notes. Anyway. <laughs> Love is not primarily a feeling. I swear I got off on that. Love is an action. Love is something you show. It's something you do. It's something you demonstrate. Yes, feelings might accompany that, but love is not primarily defined by your feelings. So loving others means you're intentionally showing love to other people, demonstrating love, doing something for people inside and outside the church. I mean, we've talked about this. Let it start here. I want you right now, it won't hurt you. I want you to look around the room. I want you to meet people's 
gaze as you look around the room. Go ahead and do it. Look them in the eye. Just look. You don't even have to get up. Just look around. It's an easy assignment. Just look at people. Okay? These are your brothers and sisters in the faith. We're here to support and encourage each other. And we ought to be getting really good at showing love to each other. Because if we can't get it right up in here, how are we going to get it right out there? And again, I've seen this. Some of you guys are doing this. Some of you guys are really good at this. Kudos to you for that. But we need to be showing. Again, this is not a state of mind. This is not a metaphor. I want to ask you something for consideration only. When you think of your life in the last week or the last month, what have you done or what are you in the midst of doing that's showing love to somebody else? And don't play this card on me. Well, I don't hate that person. I must love. No. No, no, no. It's not, just, it's not just goodwill or I happen to not dislike you. What are you doing to step out and show love to that person? And again, not to brag on yourself, but you should be able to look back in your inventory and go, oh, right, I did this for this person. It's not rocket science, people. Showing love to others. Another part of loving others is coming alongside other people and building really good, strong, healthy, robust relationships. You need to know we're really big on relationships as a church. This is not a solo act. It's not, again, it's not just you and Jesus. Who else are you doing this life with? Relationships are super key. Here's the thing with relationships. They are really fertile ground for the work of the Holy Spirit. Now answer me this, not a trick question. Can the Holy Spirit work in someone else's life you know, when you don't have a relationship with them? Yes, yes, he can. We're not saying without a relationship, nothing is possible, but also let's flip the script around on that. We've seen that they can be really, really, really nourishing environments because there's trust in relationships, right? And there's proximity and someone might be able to look at you that you're in relationship with and say, hey, you seem different. There's something about you. Or they should see you showing love, or they should see you or hear you talking sometime about Jesus, whatever it is. And since they trust you and they're close to you, that might give an occasion for them to say, what gives? I want to know more about this. Now, you don't need to be a robot in your relationships either. What I'm not saying is you build those relationships with people so that you can treat them like your projects and then the moment that you find one little crack for a gospel conversation, you bring it to that even if you gotta force it in there. It's not really what I'm saying. Relationships are a gift from God. Like I want you right now in your mind to think about people that you have relationships with. Maybe your spouse or maybe your neighbors or your kids or your parents or your neighbors or people that you work with or people that you go for a walk down the street with, whoever. Just picture some people in your mind. Those relationships are a gift from God. And you know what part of what God wants you to do? He wants you to enjoy those. It's called be a real person. You don't have to be a robot. You don't have to ram the square peg through the round hole, but here's what you can do. You can pray for opportunities. God, this person that I work with, let's say, I, they don't know Jesus, and I really, I want to share the gospel with them. Actually, you know what? More realistically, sometimes it's, I'm too scared to share the gospel with them, so maybe pray, give me the strength to want to share the gospel with them first, okay? And you know what happens? When you pray that prayer, some of you guys have seen this. When you pray for opportunities, 
to step into someone's life in, in a spiritual way. Maybe they're not a Christian and you want to share the gospel with them. Maybe they are a Christian and you want to come alongside them and, and build them up. When you pray for an opportunity to do that, guess what the Lord does? He gives you an opportunity. There are people who, I, I know you've seen this in your life too, there are people that I've prayed for opportunities for for years. And in my own strength, it's like I, I, one has never come up, but then suddenly you think sometimes the hardest people Oh, there's a window. God provided it. So we can do that. We can pray for people like that. Also, the thing about relationships is this. What I'm not saying also is that you need to be an extrovert with a thousand friends. Okay? I've seen some of you guys on Facebook have like 1,500 friends. You know what I say? I don't even think I know 1,500 people. I don't even think I could call up 1,500 people if I opened the phone book and called every one of them, right? But some of you guys are way out there extroverted. That's great. Hey, some of you guys are not. Some of you guys are introverts. The idea of putting yourself out there relationally with other people freaks you out. Let's be honest. And that's okay. I'm not saying, oh, you got to just pretend you're someone you're not. <laughs> no, what I'm saying, even if you're an introvert, you've got people in your life. Work, work that soil. Till that soil where you've been planted. Be faithful there. Trust God there. If you take on the attitude, though, I'll say this before I move on, kind of by way of warning. If you take on the attitude of, oh, well, Braden, I would, you know, I would step in and, and try to disciple that person or share the gospel with them or whatever, but you know, I don't want to ruin the relationship. You ever thought that before? I, I, I don't want to like fire the bullet out of the chamber too fast because if they're not ready to hear it, I might freak them out and they might not want to hang out with me. So I'm going to play the spiritually mature card and I'm just not going to say anything yet. Oh, oh, oh I'm going to offend somebody when I say this. Sometimes we play the, we'll uh, preach the gospel always, but use words only if necessary. Can we play that card? Oh, that's a bad card. Uh, the, the heart's not bad. Yes, you should be living in a way that would indicate you're a Christian, and people might notice that, but guess what? The gospel needs to be shared with words too, okay? Anyway, if you're of the type that says, I just don't want to jeopardize the relationship, you know what I would say to you? I would ask you this. You're telling me you would rather that person go to hell ouch. You say, I, I don't want to speak up and, and risk jeopardizing the relationship. Okay, so you're comfortable then. You're more comfortable with them maybe never knowing Jesus and going to their grave without knowing Jesus and going to hell because they don't know Jesus. You're telling me that. Ouch. And I'll be honest, that's been my heart sometimes too, right? If you just have a heart of apathy or indifference or I don't want to share, listen, you're missing out. You're missing the point. You're missing the goal. We got to be gospel people. I can tell as I'm saying this, this is kind of landing, I, I don't mean this wrong, this is landing on some rocky soil. I think there's a reluctance in us. I'm going off script right now. I think there's a reluctance in some of us to share the gospel. We gotta deal with that for a minute. Can we pray? We gotta deal with that. Let's pray. Lord, I don't know whether the reluctance I'm sensing maybe is my own heart. I don't know. But Lord, we're just pausing on this one. We know sharing the gospel is not everything. It's one, one of the things you ask us to do, Lord. Um, but right now, I'm just feeling a heaviness of resistance of, mm, yeah, I know maybe I should do that, but I, I don't think I will. Holy Spirit, would you break that in us? We don't want to live in fear. That's foolishness. 
So, Lord, I'm praying that right now you would loose our hearts, you would widen our hearts. God, you would give us boldness by your spirit. And, God, that this week, that this week you would give each one of us an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody. Make it a clear-as-day opportunity and let us step into that. And, Lord, I pray for a removal of the spirit of fear where the enemy says, you don't want to do that. You'll look like an idiot or you don't want to do that. You'll probably not say it right and they'll laugh at you. Lord, never mind that because we know that you give us the words to say in that hour. So, Lord, we just draw near to you on that. Uh, I think we need you to do a work in our hearts on that one, Lord. And I'm thankful for your grace, too. I'm thankful you're not condemning us in this. You're inviting us in this. So, Lord, we just surrender that to you. We just want to deal with that in you right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, didn't know we were going there, but we went. Okay, now, okay, another part of loving others then, you guys get my drift on that one. Uh, It's not all about just sharing the gospel and then you're done. It's about walking with people, say, once they do come to know Jesus. You walk with each other. You help nurture and nourish them. That's discipleship, right? Another thing about uh, loving others is this. We want to care about the well-being of our community and step up to serve in our city. That's why we do things like outreach as a church. Somebody say outreach. We've done some cool outreaches. We've picked up garbage. We've done cereal drives. We did stakes for the firefighters across the road. I never got one. I was a little upset, but anyway, it was a blessing for them. God's heart, this is kind of a sermon for another day, but God's heart is that it would be so on earth as it is in heaven, right? And that means that we, as an outpost of the kingdom, as his kingdom agents in this world, we should be stepping into things that show God's kingdom rule and reign. This is who Jesus is. He's love. He's good. He loves you. He cares for you. Anyway, that's why we're going to keep doing outreaches. We're going to call on you to keep doing outreaches. Capiche? Capiche. I love when you say that back to me. Now, so loving others, you get the point. It's about stepping out, showing love to other people. The third way we can tell this is, quote, working, taking root in us is when we're pursuing growth. Somebody help me. Say pursue growth. growth. What this means in a nutshell is this. You're not done yet. How many of you have been a Christian for more than one year? Leave your hand up if it's been more than five years, more than 10 years, more than 25 years. More than 50 years. Cool. Guess what? You're still not done yet. (laughs) You're still not done. None of us ever have arrived on this side of the sod. We all have more growth to do. We all have to press in. We all have to dig deeper. Part of pursuing growth is doing your part to see God's kingdom grow. Right? You are a kingdom agent. You have a role to play. You have resources. You have gifts. You have time. You have relationships. You have people to share with. It's seeing yourself in that kingdom lens. Right? God wants me to do something. God wants me to be an active part of something. Part of pursuing growth is pursuing spiritual growth. Some of you guys are very smart people. Some of you guys know a lot about the Bible. Guess what? You don't know it all. And guess what? Even if sometimes you do know it all, we don't always do it all. Ouch. But it's true. I, I sum up pursue, uh, spiritual growth essentially as this. It's growing to know God's word and to do God's word. Right? Everything that's in here, there's so much. And when we grow into that, when we step into what the word says, and importantly, we do it. Don't just be hearers of the word only, but doers of the word. To me, when a person is growing to know the word better and they're doing the word, that's spiritual growth. You know why? Because that makes us more like Jesus. Just saying. It's all about him. 
Now, this right here, this is God's word. You need to be in it. I'm not pointing the finger at anybody. I'm just saying, word on the street is, is that across the world in Christianity, there's an epidemic of people that don't even pick this up and bother to read it. You know who suffers for that? We do. You do. If you, if you don't carve out the time, even if it's five minutes a day, to get into God's word, you suffer for it. Because the word of God is living and active and it does stuff and it's useful. It accomplishes things. You need to be in it. And it's never been easier to be in God's word either. If you have a cell phone, how many of you own a cell phone? Some of you are lying to me. They're like, I don't want to admit it. A Blackberry counts, yeah. If you still have a Blackberry, I'm impressed. The word is right on your phone too. There's no excuse. Listen, I love you. Let me just say it again. There's no excuse. Be in the word. Immerse yourself in the word. Let's go. It's easy. Just start. Pursuing growth also looks like mining the depths of your God-given potential and talents and resources and spiritual gifts. God has equipped you. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, God has equipped you. He's equipped us all as believers in some ways that are common to all of us. He's given all of us as Christians the Holy Spirit, okay? He's given us all the gift of being in a family together. That's cool, but, but God has gifted you individually with special gifts. He's given you abilities to do things. He's given you potential to grow into. And that's the key word. You've got to grow into it. How many of you know when you realized maybe when you were a kid that you were good at something, how many of you know you weren't a master at it right away. You had to work at it, right? Maybe we're still working at it. Well, so it is in the things of our faith as well. Sometimes you learn, oh God, you have this thing for me to do and you want me to get better at doing it. Well, that's pursuing growth. God has given you resources too. Maybe he's made you rich. You're rich. Or maybe not. But maybe it's a financial resource that you can use for the growth of God's kingdom. Maybe it's time. Maybe it's, hey, I'm not working right now. I got some time on my hands. What can I do to serve the Lord and his church and his kingdom? Maybe it's a car. Maybe you drive a, you, you do a taxi service for the Lord. Some of you guys do that already. It's pretty cool. I don't know how many people are supposed to fit in your vehicles, but I see 26 crawling out of the back end trunk. I don't know. I won't report you. We're okay. Also, your spiritual gifts. I thought of this this morning. How cool is this? The Bible says that when you come to Christ, when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're saved. And one of the things that happens is the Holy Spirit gives you at least one spiritual gift. Every Christian has at least one spiritual gift. I thought of these three kids this morning. Those three kids now have spiritual gifts. Oh my word, eh? Now here's a question. Do you think they know what they are yet? Maybe, maybe they do. Probably not though. So they and we, we need to work at uncovering those, right? That's, oh, we're gonna talk about those someday. That won't be today, but we'll talk about spiritual gifts again. It's awesome, awesome thing that the Lord does to build up the church. Anyway, the point is this. You have been given specific gifts. You have been given abilities. You have been given opportunities. You have been given resources. Guess who needs to use them? You do. 
Don't look to someone else. Don't make it someone else's problem because God hasn't equipped them in the same way he's equipped you. Don't ask someone else to do the job that you're supposed to do that you're equipped for and they're not. Everybody has a role to play in this. But we've got to submit ourselves unto the Lord and say, look, Lord, here I am. Use me. Grow me. Stretch me. Let that be our heart in this, in this church, in this house. Let that be our attitude. That's the crash course. Here's what I got for you. I got three bonus points to close. I know you guys always love my bonus points. So we have three of them today to close. Bonus points for today. Number one is this. I just said it. You have a role to play in this. Sometimes what I think we can do is we can hear of the work of the church, the body, the whole, and we can somehow convince ourselves, well, that doesn't apply to me. That's what my church is doing, but me as an individual, well, you've probably noticed in here, these are all very individually oriented. This is our plan as a church. It's about you and I and every single one of us stepping up and stepping into this and trusting the Lord in this. You want to know our growth plan? It's you. You want to know our discipleship plan? It's you. You want to know our evangelism plan? It's you. It's you. So we got to trust the Lord. I mean, it's going to be what he makes it, but in a way, it's going to be what we make it. Are we going to step into this? You have a role to play. And so many Christians, see, they say, oh, well, I, I, I'm just new in my faith. We disqualify ourselves. And they say, oh, well, I have a past. I have a background. I have baggage. Don't we all? And that doesn't disqualify you either. Oh, I have lots of other things to do. I'm really busy. Yeah, you probably are, but guess what? And that doesn't disqualify you either. If you're a Christian, if you're a part of our church, this is for you. And that spirit that the enemy would sow in your heart that says, I, I, I'm inadequate, I can't do this. Let that be broken today in Jesus' name. You have a role to play. You, you have gifts, you have opportunities, you have access that no one else in this room does. Use that. Mind that. Dig into that. Trust God in that. Because we will not have maximum impact as a church how many of you want to have as much impact as a church that we can possibly have? How many of you want that? Okay, you said it, not me. And we will never have that if any of us choose to just sideline ourselves and shelve ourselves on that. Because 1 Corinthians 12 says that we are one body made up of many parts and every part does not have the same function, but every part is indispensably important. Listen, I need you to hear this today. This is for somebody you have value. You are desperately needed in the church. Your gifts, even if you think, I don't even know where I'd serve with my gifts here. We need your gifts. We need you. You are a vital, vital part of this. You have a role to play. Yeah, I'll say this. If you're maybe one who says, well, yeah, okay, I could see ways of stepping up and stepping into this, but I don't know, I'm too busy, or I, I just, it seems kind of intense to me. I would encourage you to strongly consider dealing with that. I know you're busy. We're all busy. We're very busy, okay? But that doesn't trump what God calls you to do. That calls you to trust God. 
and to step out in obedience. Yeah, there might be a little bit of priority shifting that needs to happen. I'm not saying you quit your job. I'm not saying you ditch your family responsibilities. I'm just saying God's gonna make a path forward for you, even if you're trying to play the busy card. Not gonna work. Can't do it. Anyway, you have a role to play. Just so I know you're understanding that, say that back to me. You have a role to play. All right. Second bonus point is this. We gotta resist the temptation to coast. You can coast anytime. Well, you shouldn't, but theoretically it's possible. We're capable of coasting anytime. But again, I think God's word specifically for us today is this. Things are going well, and when things are going well is a prime opportunity to start to coast. Because you know what we can do? We can say, oh, I don't know, there's, there's all kinds of people in the church. They won't notice if I'm not there. There's all kinds of people serving in that ministry. They won't miss me if I don't serve. I assume there's all kinds of people giving, so they won't miss if I don't put my money in. That's a dangerous attitude. Dangerous attitude. Because I think there's a special kind of temptation to coast when things are good. But listen, it's not time to let off the gas. It's time to trust the Lord and keep our foot on the pedal there. And here's specifically what I want to say. This will not be a shock to you. Summer's coming. How many of you are excited for summer? Right here, just saying. Summertime is often sometimes seen in the church world as the off season. You know what I mean? I'll be here in May and I won't see you again till September. Okay, I get it. And you're vacationing. Here's what I'm saying. Cancel your vacation plans. No, don't do that, okay? Vacation hard. Take a break this summer. Play hard. I'm, I'm planning to play a lot of golf this summer, just saying. If you want to find me where I'm at, try looking at the Wellsford Golf Course first. You'll probably find me there, okay? Play hard. That's great. Enjoy the gift of the summertime. But listen, dig in hard as well. Come on now. Work hard as well. The summer, not the off season. We got Jesus to praise all summer. We got discipleship to do all summer. We got gospel to share all summer. We got stuff to do. It's not time to coast. We need you. And it's like this. With physical fitness, the longer you go and you say, I'm gonna stop working out, I'm gonna stop exercising, and the longer you go in that nebulous gap, the more time that you spend not flexing those muscles, the harder it is to get back in and to have the resolve to start again. I've seen too many people say, yeah, it's June. You'll see me in a few months. And then a few months comes and we didn't see you. Okay, we can't do that. We got stuff to do right now. But I do hope you have a fun summer, seriously. I plan to. Third thing is this, I'll leave you with this encouragement and then we'll wrap up. I wanna just remind you, we've been given a taste. We've seen a glimpse in this past season of the power and the glory of God. And I don't know about you, when you get a taste of that, it leaves us wanting more. Not that God is like a vending machine that, yeah, Lord, we're just ordering up some more good times over here and all we care about is for you doing, no. But I'm just saying, We've seen and we've known and we've experienced and we've encountered the presence of God, haven't we? We have seen, no, that was not good enough. We've seen it, haven't we? Okay, that's better. God has been with us. 
God has been moving. God has been stirring. God has been changing lives, our lives and others. God has been giving us opportunities and connections with people. And I want to see more and more of that. And it's not all about us just snapping our fingers and trying harder, but we better be asking for it. We better be asking. He says, you who have not because you ask not. Let's, let's not fall short on that. If we would trust and submit ourselves to the Lord in this way, as we've talked about, we would see him do things. He could blow the lid off this thing, guys. Not physically the roof. We're going to get that fixed, but... If God has done these amazing things in our church the last year or two, like, let me just remind you that he's the God who's able to do more than we can ask or think or even imagine. Okay, we can imagine what he's done because we've seen it, but he can do way more than that. Does that excite you? Because it should, just saying. So let's pour into this. Let's trust God and ask God and and wait in expectation to see what he's going to do next. That excites me, and I'm honored to be taking this journey with you guys. It is a joy, it is a privilege, and a pleasure. And now I want to pray for you.